Welcome to Time Out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. We've got so many great aspects of, of youth sport, but we've certainly got some obstacles, especially in the soccer space, as most sports do. But I tend to go back to this need for organic, truly player-centered environments where the athlete or the child or the player is genuinely, and I say genuinely with strong emphasis, the most important aspect. Not the club, not the team, the coach, the parent. We talk in our industry as you know, okay, let's get the game back to the players. You know, we need to consider the masses, but we're applying performance elite methodology and creating those environments for participation in social sport. And they don't match. Welcome to Time Out with the School of Sports Sciences and the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. My name is Dr. Peter McGahey, and I'm pleased to be our host today. I'm joined today by Scott Snyder. Scott is the Senior Director of Sport Development for the American Youth Soccer Organization, otherwise known as AYSO. I'm looking forward to our conversation today centered around creating a positive youth sport environment. Welcome, Scott. Let's go. All right, Scott. So welcome to our, our podcast. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having us, Peter. It's good to see you. So for all, everyone's welcome, as I said before, Scott is the, the Senior Director of Sport Development for AYSO, the American Youth Soccer Organization. Scott, can you share with our audience a little bit what you do for AYSO? Sure. So we have approximately 70,000 coaches and about 100,000 players across the country. And we provide content, curriculum, education for all of our membership. Uh, and I'm in charge of that uh, process. We all, in addition to coaches, we have a referee program and a management program for administration. So it's very heavily based on training and education support for what is primarily a volunteer membership. So we're at the uh, one end of the spectrum of, of kind of coaching because it's all parent coaches for the most part. So a different audience, but in a different approach, but we make sure we're very thorough in our methodology and in our support so that it's current and applicable uh, for specifically a parent coach. Now we have other coaches in the organization, but it's predominantly parent coach led. Yeah, that's great. And again, it hits right with our topic here today about creating that positive youth sport environment within this, within this grassroots context. So, Scott, can you share a little bit about how did you fall in love with soccer? David being poor help. Um, not as poor, I just didn't have a lot of cash at the time. But uh, growing up in Scotland, uh, you know, soccer was really the, not the only option, Peter, but it was the most affordable option for the masses. Uh, we had other sports, but they tended to be quite expensive. So thinking of it, today's climate with exclusivity and, uh, and barrier to entry, Tennis was expensive. Golf was, was expensive. Um, rugby was available, but being a few inches taller than a hobbit, it wasn't really in the sport for me. Uh, so soccer became an actual fit as it did for, for most of the population. The beauty of it for me in terms of falling in love with it was the, the freedom and the independence that, it, that I had because all I needed was where we lived in the street. There was a wall in front of my house. There was that was a play area. There was a park at the end of the street. That became a more formal play area. But it was that type of one-on-one uh, -on -one freedom, independence that really uh, kind of created this love and passion for the relationship with the ball. I almost absorbed the, the, the sphere-shaped object. So it became really interesting, but that's how I developed the love for the sport overall. I love that. And again, it's just a place about sometimes just the the player in their backyard with their, their with their sport, bouncing the ball, kicking the ball, hitting the ball, throwing the ball up to themselves. We we certainly forget the 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 love starts early, and this love of soccer took you on quite a journey, didn't it? It did, yeah. I mean, I I was very blessed to have a a, a kind of long career both in the in the UK uh, and the, the US, um, all founded on that kind of relationship with the ball and the, and the love for independence and freedom and creativity, um, which sometimes as a, as a young professional, that's not quite uh, what they're looking for. And that changed my perspective a little bit, but certainly was, was very fortunate in, in the career that I was given by playing. 
That's fantastic. Do you have like in those formative years, do you have a memorable coach or a story that really influenced you when you were in that, in, in the grassroots pathway as a youngster? So interestingly enough, I don't recall having a formal team coach environment until probably 11 or 12 in terms of formal uh, play. There was teams and I played on teams, but I don't recall it being formally run or led by a coach. The the memories that I have in those days really involve that street play and playing in the pickup games at the local park, which really became uh, a life of its own. We had kids from all over every neighborhood in the town and it would end up being this very very organic player center player led we played in a, a, a hockey field or field hockey so it was small-sided games with small numbers before there were small-sided games older players younger players skilled non-skilled uh, it just became this colorful animated environment for for play that it's strange for you that to this day, I'll occasionally Google Earth that park just to rekindle the memory because it yeah. was so, it was so vibrant. Um, and really it, thinking about the development part of that and what it was, you know, it's okay to have fun and enjoy, which is fundamental. But the idea of was I learning the things you learn by playing with olders and different skilled players and that diversity and, and the, and the talent is huge. We don't, you know, we immediately start separating everybody here, um, which could be a, a different topic altogether, but learning from older players and larger players and having to develop skill and balance to avoid it. And all of, you know, again, being smaller in stature at the time, it was, uh, it, it, I learned so much and that type of play stayed with me throughout my whole career. It wasn't as if I, I adapted and I became this other type of player. The type of player that I was, I developed in this in the park and pickup games was the same player I was when I finished the, the game. So it, it works if you just allow it to be as organic and free. And and I and, and again, I, I hope that everybody can hear the 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 enjoyment and the thrill that is that is in your voice about the freedom that you had that you got to have experimenting and playing and growing and growing with the game. I think of the, the challenges we face today, and we've got so many great aspects of, of youth sport, but we've certainly got some obstacles, especially in the soccer space, as most sports do. But I tend to go back to this need for organic, truly player-centered environments, where the, the athlete or the child or the player is genuinely, and I say genuinely with, with strong emphasis, the most important aspect, not the club, uh, not the team, the coach, the parent, it's the child. We, 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 we talk in our industry, as you know, okay, let's get the game back to the players. Well, we don't, and we haven't, we've literally taken it away from them and it's our game and they're just participants in the game. Um, so it's, I think in order for us to really start to hit some of the, 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 the targets and the, and the potential that we have, we need to re, think the environments that we're asking players to play in both so, from so a hon- developmental so, stage so, and cultural so scott i want to hone in on this idea about player centered giving the game back to the players right like this youth sport environment being about and for the players i'm sure we're going to cover mm-hmm. a little bit about sort of how it's moved mm-hmm. away from it how do we how do we move back towards it or for you so, and for ayso how how does that vision of being player centered manifest. Mm. Well, that's, it's, well, not just in AYS, though. I, I think I personally, through my experience in the industry and considering some of the data points that we have to look at in terms of participation, what are we adding players that we lose, you know, regardless of where you, 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 you know, you take your data from, there's been a, a steady decline in participation. So something's not quite right. And we can argue and debate what that might be. We, we might have opinions, but I think one of the, the main threads that would be consistent is that we have, especially probably more so in, in, in youth soccer than any other sports, we've really professionalized the whole business. And I use business carefully because it is very much a business. And the idea of what is 
appropriate developmentally and um, culturally for a, a child to play in is now mismatched. I, I, we're, I'm working on a whole process of, and, and my, of kind of simplifying and trying to reclaim the game a little bit for the players. And I just think how complicated everything has become over coaching, over organizing, you know, over training. Uh, and the why behind all of that isn't just professionalization. It can be the popularity in coach education, which has flourished in the past 15 years, which has created great opportunities. But there's other sides to every every benefit, really. So I think we need to be careful that we don't cross that line. And I feel we're quite close to that of really forgetting what who the game is for. Um, the type of players that we're creating, the type of players that we're we're expecting to play. Um the I I I think the one of the cornerstones to the 2011 zone one rollout for six through 12, I believe it was that Claudia Reyna champion was development over winning. And I, that's a term that's often misused. I, I don't think, uh, it, it, it's really, I think it's got to the point where the, the quest for winning, which is a po positive aspect if it's done properly is actually devouring development. I think it's gone to that point where the winning aspect is, 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 is really hindering development. And winnings connected to uh, the club mod, you know, the super club model, the 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 need for registrations to fuel the business. Again, it's a different. It's it's because didn't even in the past five years, um, pre-COVID, it's really starting to show its the, the, the kind of concerns with that idea. Yeah. So Scott, the answer about like the idea about winning. And I, the devouring mm -hmm. is a very powerful reference with that. And I mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about, you said a couple of things that I want to come back and revisit this idea about professionalization and mismatched. But I do want to hone into this idea about winning. And I really want to go mm -hmm. back to the Scott playing in the street, mm -hmm. playing in the spark yeah. park as a youngster. Yeah. Because I think there's mm -hmm. a place of where society as a whole has, the idea about winning is, winning is something, but it doesn't have to be everything. Like, so for those, for youngsters, yeah. when they're playing, talk about where this, where this mismatch of winning has gone mm -hmm. in our culture, in the place of where mm -hmm. it's gone from sort of what the kids want to do well to yeah. well, how, how it sort of has become again, the, the mainstream of winning. Yeah. Let me clarify my position on that. It's organizational and personal. Everybody plays to, we should play to win. It's the purpose of the co competitive environment and that should be encouraged. What I'm trying to emphasize is the method behind that is relevant. And how do we obtain the victory? Is it by design or is it by luck? Is it by only playing the best, strongest players? In which case, three, four, five players don't get to play at all, which is common practice. Doesn't matter what, what people say, that's common practice. One of the reasons that I joined AYSO when I did was the, the, the philosophy of 60% playing time, every level, every field. Um, even our, our new, our club program, which is going very, very well, AYSO United, uh, who are complete US club, they, they compete in most, they're in the, 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 uh, the elite 64 for USY, 50% playing time for every player in the club. Love it. Now, what's the, the other side of that, Peter, is could that, result in potentially lose of a, the, the, the losing the cup final. Yeah, it could. And that's the arrangement that we make in order for that, uh, the other group of players to actually get the chance to put the, the, there's no development taking place if you're not playing. That's a place I think that the sometimes basic level lost, you know, lost at yeah. times on folks is, can you speak about that? How important at the grassroots and youth level, the concept of yeah. playing time is because we watch are, are the grassroots coaches, the novice coaches, they watch professional sports, they see how playing time yeah. works. And then we bring those things yeah. back into the youth context. Can you share about how yeah. important playing time is? Yeah. Well, you, you, you're touching upon what I think is a really is part of the issue that we're referring to. What's the real, what's, what's happening? Why are, why do we have issues right now within the, the, the game? And we talked about professionalization, but the, the mismatch of expectations and environments to younger levels based on whether they've seen it at the pros or a club level is part of the issue because it's not 
conducive to a healthy environment. Um, I think the idea of, I, I think at minimum, or what organizations are charging to, to play, you should, be, should at least get 50% playing time at a minimum. We try and get three quarters play, but sometimes it doesn't work out depending on the size of the roster. But I think there's a, there's a place for that. Our really, our kind of agreement within the, our, our model at the club level, which is tryout based. All our program is open registration. Yeah. The, 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 the idea behind it is that don't recruit the player through tryouts if you don't feel they can play it. Right. It's not an, that we're not, we're not gen, we're not motive. Our, our, our reason for putting a club program together wasn't revenue. It was to create the opportunity for players to continue to play in, at a higher, at a more competitive level and in an external gaming circuit, which is what they do. But the idea is don't put, don't, don't recruit the player to take the base if you don't feel you can put them on at a specific, specific time. So I think at the minimum level of sports arrangement, a player, an athlete should get the opportunity to play. And we get, we hear, you know, it's where we, a lot of our players come from that environment where they just didn't get to play. Um, and I, I don't think it's a fair exchange. Now, once you get to a certain level, I'm talking about starting to identify, Peter, the, the differences in, in, in environments from a participation in social environment, which is what I'm talking about here and what I would gener generally term grassroots, the performance elite pathway, you know, which is different and, and, and the approach to it can be similar, but there can be some nuances that are different. I live within the participation in social model, which in its own way here has been looked down upon. You know, I, 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 I carefully didn't say the word wreck, which has become a negative connotation. I think what we need now is wreck. Coming out of COVID, the benefits I think were highlighted for just participation in social play. And the strengths of that Arguably, without weigh the numbers related to an elite part of the part of the pyramid, you know we need to consider the masses. But we're applying performance elite methodology and creating those environments for participation in social sport, and they don't match. There's a reason we get burnout, losing losing participation numbers, overuse injuries, is because we're applying a philosophy and methodology to an environment that is much more organic and, and needs less. Less is more. So we're just trying to rebalance the equation a little bit and try and make sure that the environment that we offer for, you know, that grassroots participation, social player that just wants to be with the buddies and play is appropriate. It's not complicated, Peter. It's just that's a commitment you're trying to make. We're just an organization that's based on that. And Scott, I think the challenge that sometimes is, is that folks feel like that community-based program, the social program that you mentioned, somehow has less inherent value than the tryout team or those things, as opposed mm -hmm. to recognize that everyone comes as a grassroots player. Everyone begins, yes, their, everyone begins their sports career within the grassroots. You mentioned this concept of playing time. What's the connection between playing time and development and fun for the grassroots for the grassroots player. Why is that such a paramount paramount? Well, if you part? consider the rationale for playing as participation, right? I want to participate. I want to be out there. Then being physically on the field, not just in a practice environment, but physically participating during the the, the competitive event, is a cornerstone. And we're just seeing too many kids that are just that are not getting to play at all. Because we, they come to us. So there's a fundamental mismatch in what I think parents should be aware of and look for today based on the needs of the child. Um, I'm not saying that education or development can't take place if you're sitting on the bench, if it's, uh, if you're analyzing and you're getting good guided questions from your coach and it's interactive. And I get that you can do that. But for the majority, of the 12 players that are sitting on the bench, they're not getting anything from it. So I just think we need to provide a fairer and more reasonable exchange for our families today, especially considering what they're paying. Correct. And, and it's and becoming and the, quite significant in terms the, of cost. And the cost and the cost ex expense that's there, I think is, is quite challenging. 
with you're talking about like a novice coach because you talked about mm-hmm. before that again in, in this grassroots environment novice coaches are predominantly yeah. the the coaching mm-hmm. workforce when they get into this place when they go out and they're going to coach their their teams and they're going to work with their folks in these community programs what are some of the biggest mm-hmm. challenges that these novice coaches have Nowadays, Peter, I, te- I, I think it's, and again, it's similar to what you were saying earlier, but I think it's keeping the game in perspective, keeping the methodology and the expectations in perspective of what it is. Once you start the coaching journey, it's easy to mismatch your approach to the true needs of the children or the environment you're coaching in because you, we have this natural alignment to watch on TV, whether it's a professional game or what the paid coaches are doing uh, with their club teams, because that's obviously quite prominent in a community, um, which is often mismatched to the players' needs anyway in order to justify revenue and salaries. So it's really just trying to stay within the, the, the genuine parameters of their environment. And if it is a grassroots participation, social, recreational model, fun is the most important thing. Are they enjoying it? Have we made it fun? Have they felt inspired to continue to play? The goals now for young, even with, with AYSO, the goals are kind of, are, are starting to change, uh, in what we really want to do here. This idea of making soccer the preeminent sport, it's a bold statement and we'll, we'll do our best to make that happen. We really just want to keep kids in the game now. This isn't. Because what we are noticing at the, in, in, in an ind- industry space, youth soccer players aren't leaving the participation pyramid and going to the level below or just playing rec or co-ed. They're, they're leaving. They're, Elvis has left the building and they're not coming back in. The difference is they're just staying within the numbers and just moving different levels. Whatever experience they've had has caused for the most part and generalizing here has often caused them to leave the, this sport completely which isn't helping anybody so some things are mismatched somewhere in that space so keeping things genuinely you know age and developmentally appropriate for the the players you're working with is our, is the biggest challenge and you had mentioned this idea about less is more before you've spoken to this idea about the needs of the grassroots player. What are, like from your perspective, what are some of those critical ingredients of the, gra- of the grassroots environment? So this has changed since uh, COVID as well. Uh, COVID is terrible. It's, it was, it came a really interesting catalyst for change and perspective and, and, and thought leadership. And we certainly went through a lot of that and, and the work that we did with the Aspen Institute and a variety of other organizations. But so we kind of, we kind of went from being a youth soccer organization to a youth sports environment experience. And really now that, that approach has led us to actually rewriting most of our material from three through eight to really develop to be to become a lot more holistic in its values to a parent or a player so all of the material now is is going to be from three through eight this is predominantly peter which is large percent of our population player population is going to be very heavily sms based fundamental motor skill development and now social and emotional learning activities throughout because the opportunity to improve players only um, is just limited. The opportunity to help children is much more um, potentially beneficial for 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 families and what they're what they're getting from a youth sports experience. So we also we didn't just come up with this. This was part of some research that we were doing. We we're noticing that, we, especially with the younger players, that the the lack of FMS development coming from the, the lack of replay was becoming a significant barrier to technical development. And without that lens, we were starting to find people were looking at players or players were experiencing things and we were considering lack of technical ability when really it was lack of physical literacy because they had missed the FMS development window. 
which is a completely different. And I just started, we started panic a little bit thinking, how many players have we lost because they've felt discouraged or coaches have felt discouraged because they couldn't help develop a child based on technical or soccer aspects when it was all FMS? Scott, when you say FMS, mm-hmm. just so that I can hear and the listeners yep. can hear the idea, fundamental movement skills, motor skills, motor, yep. fundamental motor skills. Okay. I appreciate that. I appreciate balancing, that clarification. Balancing, running, walk, all of the things, Peter, that we all develop naturally for the most part, um, through outdoor free play. And again, I'm generalizing here, um, isn't as prevalent today as it was 20 years ago. Lack of physical education in schools. There's so many different aspects that's contributed to this. And it's not the, you know, the end all and be all to fixing the, the game. But in terms of what we feel we've got an obligation to introduce or make sure there's awareness to, it's one of the two major components to there being social and emotional learning. And I, and I'll, you know, the, the simple example is there's a hierarchy to FMS development. You know, that's why we get the, you've got to walk before you can run. I appreciate you know, that. Yeah. You need, you need to be able to balance on one leg before you can strike a soccer ball. Correct. If you don't have the core strength to do those things, Peter, or you're off balance. What is that going to look like technically as the, as you progress? And the, the other, the, 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 again, the research that we did in this, there's a small, relatively small window to develop this. And if you miss it, it's very hard to regain it later in life. And I'm a perfect example of that. Grow up in Scotland, ball at my seat, great high foot coordination. Did nothing with my, my hands in terms of sporting, tennis, golf, basketball, hockey, none of that. Everything was eye foot. I have zero eye hand coordination. Um, and I'm, I can't throw. So thank the law that I had two daughters and I didn't, they didn't play baseball, but I'm this guy. I can't. I can't throw, um, you know, if, if we were, pre- if we were together and this was going well and we want, you wanted a high five in the way out, 50% chance of getting punched in the face. Hey, I, so, I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate it, that know? we're doing this, doing this virtually, Scott, because that's hard. <laughs> You're safe. And, and I will You're also safe. say that I'm, I'm safe from your golf game, apparently that we'll have to, You're we'll safe. have to, we'll have to look to get out there with the golf. So with this idea about fundamental modal skills yeah. and some of this social emotional learning. Yep. How does how do the grassroots coaches then bring those concepts? Like how do the how does how do those yep. concepts show up in their yep. practice? So what it, it, it takes a commitment, and it takes a commitment from the organization to to maintain educational integrity, because it's not easy, Peter. When we did the research to what a, a three and four year old program should look like, we we went to child psychologists, child development specialists, curriculum. Everything came back the same. Bean bags, hula hoops, parachutes, lily pads, no sport, no soccer ball. Well, but we're kind of soccer organization. This right. is what we do. Um, but that was the, when that was what we get told. The easy thing to do would be to have created curriculum based on the cutest soccer game in the world, which is out there. There's a lot of organizations making a lot of money doing this. The cutest soccer game in the world, right? Just let them play 3v3 Thunderdome for Hobbits, right? I mean, it's just, it's cute and it sells. Consider the fundamental motor skill aspect, you're developing one coordinated piece, which is eye foot coordination. It's limiting. So it actually is, is, is contradictory. So what we did is when we developed the program, we wrote curriculum based on that. So all of the activities are based on SMS. They're all, they've all got, you know, they've all got an FMS theme to it. So three activities, one is FMS, one is a game like, and then there's a, a bit of a, a soccer game at the end. And it progresses up through eight, through eight years. Um, so our coaches who we train and we've still one of the only uh, programs in America that, that requires coach certification. It's all based on providing the foundation to FMS, the foundation to SEL. And in a full season of detailed curriculum and lesson plans. Um, so that's, that's how we do it. And all of our training is related to that. Um, and now when we're getting, again, been back into this, adding SEL, uh, we've done the same thing. We've laid the foundation and we're, we talk more about that 
educational aspect than the X's and O's. It's easier, Peter, for a parent to understand that than worry about the technical aspects of a site for pass. That's all in there as well, but it's prioritized in, in our curriculum. And our curriculum, by the way, has been accredited by the United States Center for Coaching Excellence, one of the only soccer organizations that's had that done three times now. Again, if you do the right thing for what's best for that child at the right age, it will work, but it might not be as socially you know, marketable, if you like. Um, so it, it's a balance, but we're committed to making sure that we provide a more holistic experience through our youth soccer program. And Scott, with the idea about the UCC, USCCE and the yep. right age and right stage, again, the, the, there's, yep. a, there's so much power in that. With this idea about coaching at the right age and right stage, how do you see this impact the long-term participation participation in sport and then the long-term development of these youngsters as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's not overly complex. There's a lot of people will try and certainly make it complicated, but if we can, we can keep the players, children playing the game. Uh, Here's the kind of the, the, the vision that we have. If we can keep them in the environment, that's appropriate for them, which hopefully would make them stay in that environment through the age of eight and develop them into kids who are, Hey, I really like soccer. It's cool. Where they go on to from that point is gravy. It doesn't, it, we're excited as they progress to wherever they progress, but the new goal was to keep them participating. But the more we start to apply high level four nights a week, traveling here, you know, all over the state and all to play because that's what's being presented as the way forward. Um, they're not, again, burnout, overuse injuries, people leaving the sport is not coincidence. There's a reason for that. So it's genuinely a commitment to try and provide the right environment for the age. We'll keep more children playing. If it's not fun, Peter, or it's too much for them or too much for the family, they just won't do it. Another thing that, you know, the pandemic kind of put on and, and as a priority is the amount of money we're spending on youth sports and what it should provide. And BMW's, you know, level payments for youth soccer is, is a lot to ask today. So a more realistic exchange, um, will keep more players participate. And at that age of eight or 10 or whatever it is, whenever they decide to make that next step to whatever environment they feel, there'll be more to play, more to, to pick from. I mean, if you look at it as a filter going all the way up to the top of the apex and, and the amount of resources you spend up there versus down here at the grassroots base, it's flipped. The more we have at the base, the more we'll filter up and the more we'll get to develop. Um, but we're concerned that, that, you know, the base isn't getting the appropriate attention that it deserves at this time in order to have more players to filter through the system. I want all, every day to go pro, go, pro, go, go the whole way, get the college scholarship. But it's a numbers game. And what we're seeing is if it's not, the, the, if it's not a, an appropriate environment and it's mismatched for whatever reason, they're not going to stay in it. it does, it's not complicated. I think, Scott, the challenge that I would say about this mismatch that we have with the, the mismatch that we have with the youth as it relates to some of the structural components of higher level sport, can you speak to this idea about early selection, talent identification, the rush that the coaches and parents feel within the youth sport context that impact this this player-centered environment. And, and again, having so- someone that's come through that system, I'm all for it. I, and I'm, I, I believe in, in, in elite youth sport development. I want players to progress through it. But again, I'll reiterate, the, the, and it could come from, it can be, there's a new element of concern, which is, and, and we have it all over in different pockets, different, but some of them organizational in this uh, nationwide, but this kind of super club domination of the grassroots is becoming part of the the challenge. Um, 
the the need the need from a business standpoint, Peter, to recruit younger and younger players and their parents, of course. And I don't even know if it's a matter of convincing them, but, but presenting them with the more training, more time commitment, more uniforms, more warm ups, more bumper stickers is best for their child. It, it, you know. Which may be true for a select few, but the majority should just be left in, in, to play in a fun uh, and, and be able to fall in love with the sport. Um, so we've got a few challenges that I think if we, if we don't get, can I, if we can't rebalance those players that are going to progress into that elite talent ID will, there'll be fewer of them. And the other thing that I would argue having again, coming up through this from a player standpoint is you know, those, that talent will find a way, Peter. We don't need to have 25 different acronym leagues to find 10. Th th those players are going to come through because they're good. Um, can they get better through development and training? Yeah, of course. But more than likely, they're naturally talented and will find a way. I, I think the upper part of the the the, the kind of competitive play apex, we can't deny that it, there's a lot of revenue related to it. There's a lot of revenue. So I would just like it to be, have a little bit more of a conscious and separation and certainly do what's needed at the higher levels to progress the players. But be careful when we come into the, the, the kind of lower age groups and what we apply. And I'm again, Peter, please forgive me. I'm general. There's some wonderful organizations doing the right thing all the time, but there's some that there's a, a percentage aren't and it's not helping. And my, my role now is really to try and help increase the player population at the, at the grassroots level, whether it's with AYSO or SEY or USA or, you know, whoever it might be. And so. Scott, when they misapply these. Adult, like the concepts of early talent identification, yeah. rushing the kids to tryouts, making superstar yeah. teams. What's the, yeah. what's the, what, what, what's the impact with that for the grassroots player? Too much too soon, too much time commitment, too much money. We saw advertised recently here, Peter, in California, you, uh, tryouts for U6 Elite Academy, tryout base U6 Elite Academy by a, a, a club that will go nameless. So the, the, What's going to happen? Some parents will pay the money to participate and be selected. Um, but the percentage of people will be turned away by it. They'll, 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 uh, the players will, will be training too much. The demand will be too much. The, 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 the fees will be, you know, significant to families. And we'll just, we, we'll get the players today, Peter, maybe for a short time and we'll lose them tomorrow. That's the kind of the nuts and bolts of it. So, you know, again, will if anybody in the in, in our industry anywhere in the world could tell me that a six U player is going to make it to the pros and should be put into a higher level of training, then I'd love to sit and chat with them. I would I would love to be that kind of a fortune teller and magician <laughs> myself my myself, my friend. Absolutely. So the idea about, again, the idea about as many as possible, as long as possible in the best environment possible. So for you, this idea, and again, with, with AYSO, some of the programs and some of the <laughs> elements of the organization that you are rewriting. Again, I've seen mm -hmm. some of those things and they're really, really powerful because they're centered on, they're, they're bringing this back to be a player centered environment. Can you speak to some of the things that, again, AYSO is looking to implement as best practice for a player-centered environment? Yeah. So again, the idea of, of keeping the players, play, I, not, not overly complicated again, keeping the younger players in the most aging, developmentally appropriate playing environments as possible is the commitment and having that discipline to make sure that that's, that, that environment is correct. Um, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, this, it sounds easy to really prioritize cornerstones as FMS and SEL. It sounds, it's actually not. It's, it's, it's complex to do it in a simple way that is applicable by a parent coach or a young coach, whoever it might be. But that's where our priorities lie right now. Again, we're starting to narrow the current focus. We've got an accredited program that's going fine. The new focus up is, and again, 
you, you could argue, <clears throat> why would you go back into a, a program that's already accredited and rewrite material? Well, it's because of the recent learnings and to try and keep players in the game, this to be through AH group. Um, it's really, it's the commitment to making it more holistic, trying to add more value to today's parent due to what's happened in the past number of years. Um, and to make it more valuable, you have to make it more holistic. And to do that, there's, we, we talk about developing the whole child in the sport, Peter. Most groups do. I don't see much of that actually taking place. So we're really committed. And, and one of the things that drew our attention to this is we had presented the concept of integrating SEL, social emotional learning skills into our curriculum to the Aspen Institute, who were pretty excited by that idea. And Gan said, well, it's, it's quite an undertaking, but we have a lot of material and you'd be, we'd be willing to share it if you're willing to do the work and put it in. And because of that commitment, among a few other aspects, they recognized AYSO as a project play champion, right? Because of that, they also provided us a lot of insight to the educators for SEL. And, and we took a lot of that material, modified it, did more research, and then integrated it in a way that's user-friendly, simple for that age group and for parent coaches. So we've laid it out on a, on a really simple template for people to integrate. And again, it's very, very easy to do once you have a little bit of the foundation, which we've provided. Scott, this is fantastic. I think I'm sure you, you've piqued my interest with SEL. I'm sure you've piqued our audience interest. Can you summarize what is social emotional learning? Where is, what, what is that? What does that look like? So we're looking at cognitive lessons, social and interpersonal. Right. And, and really, in, in simple terms, Peter, we're starting to integrate and recognize life skills throughout the practice. And they're, they're there. They're, they're, but we just, as coaches, we don't naturally focus on them. But when you take the, 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 sh- the kind of lenses off a little bit or open the shutters, they, they, they're bla- they, they shout out at us. And it's very, very easy, whether it's leadership, friendship, appreciation. Um, goal setting. If we actually just start to recognize the things that sport naturally presents, it becomes a much more educationally rich environment. So there's a lot more learning can take place. Um, and it, and it's staggered. It's like anything. There is a hierarchy. So the three to four year old get introduced to X and then the five and six and then the seven and eight. And it's a progressive program, but, uh, you know, self-management, self-awareness, all of the things that we'd like to put it, have our children do, we tend to think it happens actually through sport and sometimes it does. We've just been a lot more intentional with highlighting this opportunity and, so, and, 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 and also sharing that with the parents because the beauty of the, the ultimate fan transition of social-emotional learning is having the lesson then be applicable with the child in another environment, whether that's home or school. So it's, it's not just that we do it in practice minutes, it's over. They then apply that. So one of the guided questions, for example, in, um, helping others would be how, you know, Peter, how do you give me an example? Give me an example of, uh, how we help at home. Well, I, I help with the dishes. Great. You know, what other examples? So again, being in t- taking time out with the practice to actually add these elements in like coaching points. So in the new, in the new process, for example, Peter, in the past, we had, you know, the, the curriculum set with lesson plans with coaching points in there for the soccer. Yes. Those, those soccer, those coaching points have been replaced by guided questions and development for SEL. That's, yep. the, that's the difference in the commitment of what we're trying to do now. So soccer's still there. It's the golden thread throughout of it. We're just using soccer to be a lot more impactful in its reach. And moving beyond the X's and O's and focusing on the human beings that are in front of you because their sports career, Scott, are going to last whatever they last. Again, I use the analogy, the sun is going to shine on their sports career for however long it shines, but they're going to be human beings for a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's something that again, every organization I've, I speak with talks about the child and the developing the person. But then when you say, okay, well, how, how are you actually, how are you doing that? There isn't much application. 
it's a nice theory, but I think if, if we actually had more applic applicable uh, efforts, the environment that we create for the children to participate in would be much richer. And again, if I'm getting more from it, Peter, I'm happier. My mum's happier. So I'm staying with this because it's pretty cool. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is just add some different dimensions to it. Not random. The, these are elements that are, I, I feel very valuable. Uh, in particular, you know, the SMS is equally as invaluable today. Um, but the influx of technology and other aspects, the social change has, you know, we've got different things that we need to address nowadays. We're just trying to do that within our youth soccer space. And I admire very much about AYSO taking on such of these holistic and developmental places. Within the grassroots context, we would be remiss. And again, you've mentioned it a couple of times, parents. Where, how do we as coaches and as organizations build this? And again, you, you've mentioned it several times, but build this partnership and collaboration with, with yeah. the parents and caregivers of our players. We will, it, it's, it's kind of natural for AYSO because we based our whole organization on parental involvement and volunteerism. Again, you may not plan a business on that today, but it's, it's our wheelhouse. And I think when I look outside of the, our, our space and we think about the parental piece, it's, and you think of the numbers involved in it and their influence, Peter, I start to think of the words that underutilized and undervalued. Uh, to a certain extent, under-respected, um, you know, because they're volunteer parent coaches. But what we found with appropriate support, training, resources, you know, timely resources and creative resources, because time is a factor, that very often um, the parental knowledge and care and rapport with children is, you know, equal to or... So often better than many of the professional coaches that we work with. Um, so I think we need to start to uh, be a little bit more customized in our, in our delivery and our involvement of parents from education to engagement. Um, but we, I think it's the one of the, and, and I'm concerned because I certainly know within the industry, I'm talking generally here that, it, you know, it's, that's not the way to go. It's you got to, if you want a really good youth experience, you got to have professional coaches. And that's an argument some people could make. I just don't agree with it. Um, I think there's a place for professional coaches for sure. Um, but just because you're a professional coach doesn't mean to say that you're better than a volunteer, well-trained, passionate volunteer parent coach. So I think the parent aspect is huge. Um, and I think the, the need for, for, for realistic engagement, um, is vital. And I think if you start to talk beyond the X's and O's, we'll get a lot more parents genuinely engaged and interested and ideally involved, which I think is a healthy need, um, to complement the professional ranks. And I say complement because there's a space for both. Absolutely. And I think it's got within the professional ranks, we cannot confuse being a professional and having professionalism. And being and okay. and being and being where you're you're appropriate and your and your ethics and your communication are have professional qualities and that can be yeah. a volunteer coach that can be a paid coach yeah I I don't think that that's just unique because somebody somebody writes me a check again somebody who volunteers their time sure. can sh certainly have some of those 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 behaviors the the piece I think with the parents that you really speak to is this idea about timely quality education. Yeah. How do you, how do you yeah. support that? How do you support that par parental development within, within your organization? So we have, I, I have to share with you offline and some of the, the quantity of, of the EUs and certification classes that are available to AYSO volunteer parents or coaches. You don't have to be a, a coach. You can access this material, but we went from, you know, lengthy, Certification processes, uh, in person to blend it to, you know, uh, really creative, innovative ways to deliver material. And we're do doing it today. I was working on it before I came here. Different, uh, software programs that allow for more really user friendly mobile access, not to compromise the educational quality to it, 
but just make it more convenient. Um, vignettes versus, you know, two hour videos or two hour presentations. Uh, we, we, we draw a lot of commitment and energy into training and, 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 um, certification of our, of our volunteers. And we've probably got like, we'll run local workshops throughout the country now, Peter, from January through the summer. Each section we have will have one of these, what they call them expos. The library for the sections to pick from that we just created has got 140 different workshops they can choose from wow. and make up a, an agenda for themselves. Um, and these are written from all over the, the, the place. I mean, we have Chicago Fire Produce Material, uh, Kellen Job Institute, um, all bite-sized packets of content and are also available delivered in person. Um, that speaks to today's parents' needs. Um, so, I mean, it's not, it's not randomly put together. It's very carefully curated, but you've got to be constant and innovative and make sure everything's current. But we have a very extensive library of content that's available to both in person and uh, online. That's fantastic. Again, getting education, getting these wonderful messages out to into the communities to build these community programs is incredibly powerful. If somebody in the audience was interested in finding you or finding some of this information from AYSO, where would they find it? What, what's the best, what's the best avenue, Scott? Yeah, the, 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 the general webpage is, it leads to everywhere, including myself. We're all on there. It's www.ayso.org. Um, and the, then from there, you can link over to the volunteer site where you get access to all the materials, but that would give someone a good starting point, Peter. That's fantastic. We'll certainly reference some of that in the in, in the show notes. And again, we, we've touched on many topics, Scott. I know that we're going to have to have you back on this podcast at another time to continue our conversation. But I give, wanted to give you, I have one last final question for you. Budget mm-hmm. is no object and you can place a billboard or a sign on fields all across the country for players, parents, coaches to see. What would your, what would your message be? No budget. Just being Scottish there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I, that's pretty clear to me that it would be let them play. I appreciate that. Let them play. I think if we could all just step back and let the kids play more. So let them play. There you go. And we, will, and we will, we will end on that. Scott Snyder, thank you very much for joining this. And we will we're all work to let them play. Thank you, Peter. Catch up with you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for taking time out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on Time Out, be sure to reach out at cahstimeout at mail.wvu.edu. To keep up with future episodes, visit cahs.wvu.edu. Stay active and be well.